the Bowen Heads Football Club and Beach House Bowen Heads would like to welcome you to episode one of The Tree on the Wing. pre-season of 1993, with the club preparing for what was expected to be a realistic chance to break a 19-year premiership drought, a senior player convinced a mate to come out of retirement and have a season at Bowen Heads. Having previously played his senior footy at Belmont, who had recently become South Bowen, Warren Mitchell accepted the invitation. It was a move that would change the course of his life and begin a love affair with a football club, a town and a community. In the quarter of a century that has followed, Warren, aka Wow, has become a premiership player, a coach, a mentor, a writer, an award-winning umpire, and is a life member. He's raised four young men, and the overwhelming theme of his story is his gratitude to the community and the club in which he has raised them. As you'll hear in our conversation, he has a deep love of the club, the town, and the mates and friends he has made while being a prolific contributor to the community. Wow is a witty raconteur, a terrific conversationalist, loves a beer, and we had more than a couple of laughs recording this episode. You will soon understand that Wow epitomises the spirit of the club and is a great example of the people who make it a great place to be. We hope you'll enjoy the many tales of Warren Mitchell. G'day everybody, I'm Teddy Donnell, welcome to the Tree on the Wing. I'm joined this evening at the Beach House in Central Bowen Heads by my co-host Russell Highland. G'day Nipper. G'day Teddy and uh, hello listeners down here at 48 Hitchcock Avenue in the main street opposite the paper shop, walking distance to absolutely everything in Bowen Heads. Now we have a very interesting and special guest with us today. This man could easily, if you and I went under a bus nipper, host this show tomorrow. He could. And he wouldn't need any guests. He'd, no. just, he'd just be able to chat away for about three years and keep everybody entertained and interested. He, like us, is a veteran of the 1993 season and a premiership player. He had a pretty good day on grand final day. He, like us, has a really good head for radio. Yes, he but does. unlike us, I was just discussing with him that he has a terrific voice for it. He, like us, has a great love of the Bowen Heads Football Club. He's mm. uh, not shy around a microphone, so we've stuck one in front of him. Mm. And, and a we, beer. We may chat about karaoke a bit later on. Yes, exactly. And we've also stuck a beer in front of him. His name's Warren Mitchell, a.k.a. Wow, and good evening and welcome to the Tree on the Wing Wow. Thanks very much, Teddy. Lovely to be here. And uh, Nipper, lovely to be here with you as well. First question, Wow. Why wow? Uh, long time ago, unbelievably, uh, I was quite a short kid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, what, about five foot eight now, so I, I really shot up. But I, uh, I played senior cricket at Heighton when I was 16. I actually was a wicket keeper at that stage and a, and a, a budding batsman. And uh, the opening bowler was Dick Roscoe, who was Barwon's ruckman, quite a tall bloke. So... Even his deliveries that were just on a length, I was taking pretty much over my head. And when he, uh, when he bowled a bouncer, I used to have to jump up one-handed, full extension. And that was the only way I could stop him. Dick used to say to me, uh, wow, this kid can jump. Oh, wow. And it just stuck. Wow. wow, this kid can jump. So uh, that's how it all started all those years ago. So no no tattoos on the butt cheeks or no, anything well, like that. Please up that one because I, uh, look, I don't know whether back in 93 at some Sunday session... Vaguely recall getting a texter out 
inscribing a W and a W on a particular part of your anatomy. That's where I thought it all stemmed from. No, I do fondly recall that. 25 years later. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, fondly recall that nipper. and Yeah, that's right. Yes. One, of the, one of the many shenanigans we used to get up to in those days. And uh, I don't think the young lads around the club these days sort of... Uh, the behaviour is a lot more... Uh, so we say civilised than it was back in our day. We we don't have to do it now, but one day we might get round asking you why it's nipper. Oh, that's pretty simple. Because a lot of the people around the place won't know that either. Believe it or not, I was once a little kid and yeah. I was a little nipper, half the man I am now. And who gave you that, Stewie? <laughs> no, I think I think it was um, the Bowen Hedge nickname person. Oh yeah, I think it oh, came really? from Max. That one, yeah. yeah. Okay, well I got mine from Max. The other nickname my father always loved in Bowen Heads, and we've sort of straight off the. Tr- thing but it is a bow and head story this my father used to like fly fly and i used to say why do they call him fly yes i said is it because he's small and he said no oh, it's because he's a pest, pest. <laughs> he was andy lewis well uh max uh, max managed to give out a nickname to one of my sons so luke my second son carries the tag of satch and that uh, that came from max as well so he passes it on from generation to generation that's one that'll stick for luke Forever. Yeah, I think so. That's, yeah. uh, that seems to be it. We usually ask this question of our guests, and we usually don't get this far into it, but we're going to do it. I asked you earlier if you could produce two truths and a lie as our icebreaker. Yep. And what usually happens with this is that you tell us two truths and a lie. We sit on it for a while. The listener will cogitate over this through the whole thing. We hope it doesn't distract them, and hopefully it does, because then I'll have to listen again to hear the other things that you say. But the two truths and a lie, and then Nipper and I'll have a crack at it at the end and see whether we can guess which one the lie is. I've known uh, I've known you guys for God over a quarter of a century now, so I reckon you'll probably be able to pick it reasonably quickly. So, so three things about me: um, I once had a hole in three on, a, on a, uh, a golf course in Bali, which is an interesting story in itself. Um, I'm actually God two decades post footy, the same weight that I was when I was playing. I wish I could say that. And um, also, um, I also like to play cricket. Footy cricket was my thing. And uh, as a cricketer, I was known as a very attacking and aggressive opening batsman. Um, the likes of sort of Michael Slaterish back in that era, but probably more, you know, you look at Naren Finch, I was that type of player. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few things about me. There you go. The other quest, standard question, we usually, this will just take us away and we won't probably need to ask any more no, real exactly questions because right. we just yeah. have a conversation. What and why did you end up at the Bowen Hits Football Club? Uh, Greggy Caldo, who uh, is a great mate of mine and was playing in the centre in 1992. Uh, his father, Dick, used to coach yes. us in junior football and Dick was, uh, I think, the last ever sergeant of police he down was, here he before the they sergeant, closed yeah. the, the police station and sent it over to the other side of the bridge. Um, so Greg came down here and he was talking to me. I hung the boots up um, from South Barwon days. He said, you want to come for a run down Barwon Heads? It's really, really good. So I came down pre-season in 1993 and met some really, really great guys, fell in love with this town. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So... Yeah, it wasn't uh, any contact from, you know, the likes of Mick Turner and Rick Barham and um, Mick Higgins, the coach, or anything. It was just because I had a good mate who I'd known for a long time and played a lot of footy with, told me it was a good place to be. And, uh, you know, you have those moments in life where you make decisions and I'd say coming to play footy, here's one of the best ones I've ever made. 
Who were some of the blokes that you first met when you came down to Valenheads? Actually, one of the guys who, who I, I can see it in my mind's eye now is we um, we went up to uh, Howard Harmer Oval. We met up there, but obviously we weren't allowed to train because it was summertime and um, with campers and things around. So we would run down to the uh, along Car Street and we'd end up down at the, the cricket ovals and do our training there. So I was just running along with Greggy Keldo. Um, Podgy was down, of course, his brother. Who had uh, been at the back of the pack? Uh, Podgy was struggling a little bit. but uh, So I was just running along with Greg and just meeting a few people who, um, who were wandering by. But the one that sticks in my mind was a guy who... Must have been late because he didn't meet us up at the uh, the footy oval. Uh, so he obviously parked his car. But he came here and along and he was uh, pretty fit and a nuggety little fella. He ran to us and was about to go past us and saw it was Greg. Sort of slowed down and uh, ran with us for two or three minutes before he blew us off into the dust. Um, I remember he had these multicoloured sort of running shorts on. Short, nuggety little bloke and his name was Phil Walter. Mm. And uh, Phil and I end up in uh, fantastic mates and uh, over the journey and spent a lot of time with him at footy training and uh, played a little bit with him and um, Phil and I used to love running around making up nicknames for people so uh, yeah that's just a training so you know uh, Duncan Smith became Monty Burns because yes. he just looked like him and uh, yes, that, that's did. one that sticks to mind and and sadly gee I don't know how many years ago now we lost Phil 22 and, uh, years ago 22 years yeah, ago yeah, so yeah so he's he's the one that you know out of the Bowen Heads guys, he was the very first one I remember meeting and he was one who I became, you know, pretty close to over the journey. And then, yeah, you just move through the guys. I mean, Teddy was coaching the twos down there and yourself, Nipper, and you, you just go through the whole the whole list of people and, you know, you get to meet, you met Higo and I remember the night Joffa Miles walked in as well and Joff and I have ended up becoming great mates. So there's, yeah, been some ripper people that I've met over the, the quarter of a century down there and a lot of them are, are lifelong mates. Yeah, they... they it was a good era to be in, and I mean, it's a it's a time that obviously was su- successful on the field, and I think that builds a lot of long-lasting friendships because um, you bump into those blokes you mightn't see them for a long time, but when you do bump into them, uh, you got some great memories to talk about. Oh, absolutely, and, and one one that sticks to mind is we had the f- uh, high society night. Actually, they let us in up the golf club that year, which was. A pretty big thing. I think Neil Gubbins, again, yeah. God rest his soul, uh, managed to get us in up there. And I think they allowed us in there for an hour only. Yeah. It was the pre-dinner drinks and then we had to have the actual function at the yeah. footy club. But your ticket got you unlimited beer and wine at the um, for the one hour up at the uh, at the Bowen Heads mm. Golf Club. And you blokes may may remember Neil Hughes, who was a mate of, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Mate of yeah. uh, Greg Kellers. I reckon, I reckon Neil's managed to have about 18 pots in an hour. He was a value for money man, so... Yeah. Wow. So that sticks out in my mind, and yeah, that was uh, well, 1993. I vaguely remember that somebody brought up the day's takings at that function, and <laughs> and that Neil Gubbins was most unimpressed whilst he was at the golf club. And then when we got down to the footy club, he thought it was legendary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to have a certain um, you know standard of behaviour up well, there. Well, yeah, so he's got to tow that. Well, Gubbo did on. actually used to call it my golf club. Yeah, he never called it the Bowenheads Golf Club. He used to call it my golf club. Yeah. So he, he sort of had a bit of ownership around the place and cared very deeply about the place. I think. Well, lived on the first fairway, of course. You know, mm. well, not on the fairway in a house that it was adjacent to it. It'd be going to be cold if you're on the fairway, but. If you wander the halls up there and look at the honour boards, the surname Gubbins is uh, is all around the place. Yeah, so. it is. Getting back to those nicknames, I remember one of the other... I don't remember many of those nicknames. Monty's one of them. But I also remember the brown paper cowboy. <laughs> you remember that? What are you doing? <laughs> Rustling. <laughs> it took me ages to work it. I never worked it out. I had to ask you, well. Something about rabbits. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian still calls me rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah obviously Warren, yeah. So, uh, but I still remember that's another person who, you know, even though he didn't play, you know, Brian, who's the proprietor here and been a great supporter of uh, the footy club over many, many years, as his wife Leanne is. And I remember the, the day I met Brian, he was behind the bar and I actually was looking for a parrot on his shoulder because in his ear, remember that big gold hoop earring he used yes. to wear? I thought, yes, I thought did. this bloke's a bloody pirate or something. Yeah. If he had a parrot, he would be one. Yeah. So... And, and, you know, Brian and I have gone on to become great mates and, uh, you know, travelled a bit together and, uh, you know, our kids grew up together. So, um, but interesting when we mentioned Brian, there's one thing that always comes to mind that with the success and, you know, there's that sort of euphoric feeling around the club and the group, you know, he decided one night he'd come out and train with us. And, uh, you know, I didn't know whether he's a good player or a bad player, but he just thought he'd come out and as we always did, Teddy, training pretty basic back then, couple of laps, you know, put your leg up on the fence, stretch it and off into some lane kicking. So we had about three lanes pretty close together and uh, Brian was in one. It was one of those cold nights when we had the old balls because remember Mick Turner wouldn't give no. you the good footies for training. No. You know, he used to steal them from Geelong and hide them, I reckon, the good yeah. ones. But uh, anyway, Brian's let out and he was on uh, the left-hand side and the person in the middle group went out with the hands out to take the mark and it's flicked the person's left hand and shot sideways straight towards Brian and falconed him with the rock hard, almost frozen ball in the middle of winter, down like a bag of you know what, staggered off the ground, never to be seen again. So that was Brian's training. I think he got through three minutes, nearly got knocked out by a footy and went back behind the bar where he belonged. you got four sons. Yeah. That have come up through the ranks. A couple of them are playing senior footy at the moment. Yep. You would have had a lot to do with their junior football, I imagine. Yeah. What sort of, what sort of things and who was involved around that time? Well, there was the, the core group of dads and mums, of course, who, who used to help all the time. So they came through because of my circumstances, as you guys know, we were you know, a single father raising the four boys and working for, uh, full time. And so Luke used to play out of his age group because I couldn't get, them, couldn't get him to the same, you know, if he was in the under 11s yep. and Tim was in the under 13s. So I said, mate, you play up. So in the end, you know, so there was always Tim and Luke together and then later on Scotty and Beej would just tag along and and do their thing. So we had that sort of group that, you know, Sam Shallow was in, so Max and Sally were always there, you know, either team managing or goal umpiring. Uh, Harley Lewis came through with that crew, so Kev was always there, Jimmy Taylor, so Laurie was always there, myself. So between us over you know, a quite a significant period of time while those kids went from, you know, the under-10s right through to under-16s, we basically were either a coach, a team manager, an umpire, a runner, um, you know, pretty much done it all. And we followed that whole group all the way through. And, you know, you get an old nip when you sit up there on, on the hill on a Saturday afternoon and you're standing next to guys you coached as juniors and you say, you say, what are you up to? They go, oh, I've retired. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. you, you know time's marching on. But all of these guys, uh, you know, the, 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 the Zaki Gubbinses and, and that sort of era and the Bobbies and all, they're all in their early 30s now. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I sort of coached them and then moved down the age groups where my kids were. So and that was really, really good because you've got a connection still to the club. And um, I'm noticing generational change now. There's not as many people playing that I know you know there's new people up on the hill which is fantastic and you know us, us older veterans can um, mill around as we like but it's not a bad thing to walk in there and all the players in the senior go who's this bloke you know it's nice to be a little bit That's anonymous right. you know time changes and yeah club evolves and um, yep it's, yeah, it's but you are a very good link for us between our, um, our the generation of new blokes that are around the club who were 
we, we want to sell the, the idea of podcasting too. Yeah. And blokes like us who, you know, have got all the memories and we, we still remember watching Chucky play and, and uh, Brian Marshman and yeah. those blokes play. So, you, yeah, you, you provide a bit of a link between between us and those guys because uh, there's some of them are still playing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and you, you you went off and umpired for a long while after you stopped coaching, didn't you? Yeah, well, sort of I was... Uh, when I stopped playing, I think... I, I give it away... I'm trying to remember. I think 96, I think I pretty much had, was cooked, which I was about 33. So we'd won the flag, obviously, in 93. 94, we still had a good side, but crippled by injuries. You know, Greg mm. Caldo was hurt. Jeff Taylor, our centre-half back, was a gun. You know, he was hurt. Yeah. Um, we, we had Ocean Grove's measure all year, but yeah. Port Arlington were the team that kept beating us, and unfortunately, we didn't win enough games. Yeah. We ran into them in the first semi-finals, only a final four. They beat us, and Ocean Grove went on to win. And then, you know, a few people started to leave the club, and it went, you know... Not, I wouldn't say downhill, but we certainly didn't have the on-field success because it's always been a wonderful place to be off the field. But, yeah, so you step into different roles. So, you know, I started being a runner for the seconds and things, and then Joff coached, I think, 96, and I coached the twos. And then, yeah, sort of drifted off a little bit, still came around, but didn't do as much. And then, obviously, when the umpires league couldn't provide enough umpires to do reserve-grade umpiring, the club had to um, start supplying them. I and I sort of fell into it because... Warren Helen was doing a bit of it and we didn't do a bad job of him. There was a home game up there and his back went while he was umpiring. He basically hit the deck and couldn't move. And they said, who's going to tell? I said, oh, well, I'll have a crack at it. And all of a sudden, 120 games later of umpiring the reserve grade football, I decided it was like Chinese water torture. I've had enough of this. And uh, it was time to move on. But yeah, so it's a sad indictment on my footy career at Bow and Heads that I've played less games than I umpired for the club. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, I, I remember our first 93 reunion, and I reckon it must have been 10-year reunion, mm. so that would have made it 2003. And I remember standing up in the hill, and I was probably into my, I don't know, probably in the fourth can, and someone said... Oh, was it early, first it quarter? Early. Yeah. Someone said, where's Wow? We thought he'd be here. And three or four people pointed out onto the oval. And there you were, running around umpiring and continued to umpire. Had a shower and got changed and came in halfway through the first quarter of the seniors, fresh as a daisy, unlike quite a few You were a long people. way behind a lot of folks. <laughs> I had a bit of catching up to do. Interesting, I remember that day, Nip, because at half-time you go in, you're meant to go in the umpire's room, but I didn't really care about that too much. So I wandered over to where the group was and, you know, locked eyes on Podgy Keldo, who was um, in full stride, as he always is. And so um, here I am at halftime of the, the seconds, just waxing lyrical with some, some guys uh, about our successful deeds in 93. And Podgy says, well, you better have one of these. So, when I, so I've had a can at halftime in the seconds and then gone back out and umpired. So. That's country football, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. When the umpire so, in the seconds can have a can. Yeah, probably, uh, probably improving the decision-making. So I've had a few fans and there's a few locals who always were happy to give me advice on uh, my, my umpiring. There would be blokes who didn't get out of the seconds who played their whole career and had you umpire every game probably, they played. Yeah, probably pretty much. And again, I got a phone call one, I can't remember which year it was, Teddy, but the, the guy from the Geelong Football Umpires League rang me and he said, oh, we'd like to invite you to the umpires' presentation night. And I thought, why would I want to go to that with them bunch of stiffs? So anyway, I said, no, thanks, mate, not my cup of tea. And he said, oh, all right, we just wanted to let you know you've won an award. Wow. So uh, I, I won an award and they presented me with the... Um, the Geelong Football Umpires League Club Umpire of the Year Award. 
and I've got a trophy at home somewhere there, you know, gather and dust. Yeah, so... Uh, oh, again, you get that out and polish it every day. There'd be no dust on it. That, oh, that's I the actually, one at the front of the cabinet, it isn't it? CV too, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I took it away to a punter's trip in Queensland with Joffa and Wap and, and the whole crew there. <laughs> yeah, and I just presented it, just produced it on the bar there, and I said, yeah, boys, we'll just toast my success as an umpire, and uh, it was good stuff. I admire you. I, I could... I could never umpire a game of football. I nearly had to umpire an under-13 game last week, but I convinced another bloke to do it after he'd finished running a marathon. Um, and he did it, but I couldn't. I'd take my hat off to you. It, it's an interesting concept, and it certainly gave me a greater appreciation for umpires and just how difficult it is. Because it is split-second, and if you don't pay it in that split-second and you let it go, you know you've missed it. Or if you pay it wrong, you know you've paid it wrong. Or you can only see what you can see from the hill or the balcony at Bowen Heads. You can see pretty much everything. If I'm on the wrong side of a back, a bloke can throw the ball and you don't see it, so you call play on. And Yeah, so it, um, it, it really gives you an appreciation for, A, how difficult it is and how thick skin you've got to have. Because the difficulty I found was you do our reserves every week. So... There was a couple of blokes. There was a couple of real lippy blokes at Drysdale who I didn't like. But I only got them twice a year. But we had blokes in our team that were the same, and I had them every week. And so, you know, by the end of the year, you're just about ready to strangle them. And you've got your mates on the sidelines oh, absolutely. giving advice. They were very, you know, they were very good. And, you know, always the old, hey, umpy, stand up and all that sort of you, stuff. Uh, you, <laughs> it's terrible. You, you realise that... Uh, yeah. One of the people on this table is umpiring now. You could probably go down and have a look and pass on some advice to him. Well, I saw Teddy the other day after he umpired and uh, it looked like uh, someone had rammed a broomstick up his clacker or something. He was moving that beautifully. So the, the only advice I'd give to Teddy is pay a lot of free kicks that bring the ball back towards you. And in fact, and I'm not sure how you find it, Teddy, but, but I actually looked at it as a, a really good challenge and, mm. and it was something that yep. the club needs somebody to do it. And I thought, well... I've played a bit of footy and I'm reasonable at this umpiring caper and so I may as well do it as long as I can because it's a good thing for the club and it was, it's probably the worst job in the club to be doing but I enjoyed the challenge and there were some days that I had a really, really enjoyable day with the guys on the ground. There's other days, you know, that it was horrible but, but in the end, you know, it's, uh, it was something that needed to be done and the thing that I sort of took the most reward from was two years in a row the league rang me and they actually said we'd like you to come and do finals so I ran finals in the ballerine reserves with GF Geelong footy umpires league umpires wow and uh, I remember doing Torquay Anglesey down at Port one day and um, big rhino who was the full forward for Anglesey ripper fella I got to know him through umpiring and stuff and um yeah, the, um, the other two didn't seem to be having a, a real good day because they were over-officiating and, you know, like yep. you get to know the vibe of playing seconds. It's pretty basic footy. Pay the obvious and let the boys play footy. These blokes who've only ever umpired, as soon as they see the throw, they blow the whistle. Yeah. And the game stops while they go and get the footy and bring it back. And give it to the bloke who it was thrown to. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. right. That's yeah. exactly right. But Big Rhino came up and uh, was uh, we're walking off at half time. He said, hey, where well, can you do me a favour? And I said, what's that, mate? He said, can you get rid of these two clowns and do the second half on your own? So, yeah. you know, because they like the way that the club umpires... There was the odd exception. There was a bloke yeah. from Ocean Grove It wasn't that good at it. Uh, <laughs> Adam Fry nearly had a blue with it or offered to 
shorten his nose by an inch one day because yeah. he said, stop cheating, <laughs> just stop it. And um, yeah, look, even there, blokes knew it, but it was uh, it was just part and parcel of... Oh, it still goes on. Yeah. And I knew, Teddy, our blokes were getting frustrated because the last thing I wanted to be seen was to be biased towards Barwon yeah, yeah. So our blokes really had to earn anything from me. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, because I didn't want anyone to be able to say, gee, he looks after yeah. Barwon Heads. So, yeah. you know, just pay the ones you see and, and let the game flow on, you know. So, yeah, yeah it was... 120 games or something like that and you know some of them I enjoyed some of them I didn't and there was a few in between as well we skipped over it and went a bit but at the very beginning you sort of said you'd hung your boots up before you came to Bowen Heads so yeah run us through what happened before you hung your boots up I just you know you get to that stage and you think oh, I'm old and and, and sort of Belmont and Bowen had formed South Bowen and, and gone into the GFL. And which you'd is, been at Belmont? Yeah, I'd been at Belmont, and it was really hard footy, you know. Junior GF, footy all, all the way through? Uh, no, well, I came down, I played under-18s under Dick Keldo, or under-17s or whatever it was back then, because Dad uh, transferred for work down um, to Geelong. And I'd, we'd lived in Geelong as a kid. We'd gone to Melbourne and come back. So I hooked up with a few of the blokes I knew from primary school, back at high school, and they were all playing at Belmont. So... But yeah, it wasn't because they became South Barwon and things like that. You know, I was, I can't remember how old I was, but it was just time to sort of hang them up. So I had a season or two off and it was only when Greg came down here that he tweaked my interest again. I thought, yeah. And look, I had two young kids back then and working full time and just to get to training and things was all a bit difficult. So I did a little bit of policing back then and had to travel to Melbourne and Werribee and shift work and it was all a little bit difficult. So... Yeah, decided to hang them up. But like I said, when Greg mentioned about how great the club was and how they're on the improve and I made the decision to come down, I haven't regretted it for one minute. But I, yeah, I did hang them up and then I actually gave it up here for a while too. You know, I got to that certain age where you think, yeah, I'm cooked and my body hurts and all that sort of stuff. And I had a few years off and I think I was the runner. Uh, and then I thought, you know what, I'm only 37 and I started training again and I just thought, oh, well, why not? I'm just playing the forward pocket in the twos. And I loved it. I had two more, so 37, 38 and 39. I had three more years. I might have only played 10 or 12 games a year. There'd be games I go, I'll sit out this one or whatever. Or, you know, you'd let, if there was kids wanting a game, you'd give them a game. But, so I loved the training. Again, I loved playing 10 or 12 games in the seconds. And the last, the last game we played actually was against Amos at Torquay in a final. So that was where I hung them up. And um, the last kick I ever had in football for Bowen Heads, I stuck it through the big sticks. Owls? Um, what's that? Owl, yeah, luckily it was ours, uh, Nipper, yeah. So <laughs> counter, but we, we got done by about 11 points, I think, and they went on uh, and played in the preliminary final the next week. Um, so, Was that when you were playing seconds then? Was that around the time that Paul Kelly and Whitey were playing in the twos? No, Cal, Cal came back a little bit after that. Uh, and Whitey, Whitey certainly didn't play in the seconds. It was more Jason Polly uh, was coaching. Uh, Joffa played a few games. Mark Swinton was playing back then. Still playing, isn't he? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Don't get me started on that. They're still, uh, they've had to ring Newcomb Sand and Soil. He fell over up the top end. They've had 15 yards alone dropped in, and they're still short in the divity, mate. But, um, but yeah, we had a great time. And, yeah, we, um, for a certain period of time, the seconds we were pretty ordinary, but we were having some good fun. But one day they called me and they called Joff and Paul was in. They said, look, we're sure, can you blokes play? So I got, I must have been 37, 38. Joff would have been 39 and Paul about 36. So we were sitting there and the ball hardly come down. We're at it up. I said, do you know if we had our ages up, it's over 100. You know, <laughs> so the full forward line of bow and heads, you know, in the twos that day was over 100. And the ball rarely come down. But 
I'll never forget the runner come out and passed a message to got us three of us together and passed a message on and we're all jumping up and down looking at the hill going, you beauty, you ripper. These three young kids that we were playing on, they don't what they had no idea what was going on. They, the, the full forward said the job, or the full back said the job. What's going on? He goes, oh, the runner just sent us out the message. Our punters club bet got off. We just won a fortune. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you got 330-odd-year-olds playing across the forward line. Who was a runner? He must have been someone in his 50s or 60s. I reckon it might have been Clarkie, Damien Clark, because he was running for the twos for a while. It might have been Clarkie. Clarkie. Before then, he took the lime greens off and started playing again, and we sort of swapped yeah. roles, and then I went into the umpiring. He's a member of the Bowenheads MHC. The massive head club. <laughs> yeah. Clarky. Yeah, Clarky. Oh, yeah. I must admit, I'm a member of it too. Yeah, oh, I am too. So is, so is Cam Don. Yeah. But, uh, it's interesting, Nipper, when you talk about membership at Bar and Heads and things like that and the different clubs we have around here. And last cricket season, I was down there, part of the night watchman. I was having a chat with Teddy after a game of cricket. I said, You know, Teddy, I've been in Bar and Heads now for 25 years. I said, Does that qualify me to be a local? And Teddy said, it qualifies you to apply. <laughs> so I'm allowed to put my application in to be considered a local. Right. But, uh, you know, I don't know whether or not I'll, my application will get over the line. Well, what, what was the bloke we interviewed the other day? What did he say? He didn't regard himself as a local, did he? No. 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 He, uh, he <clears throat> arrived in town when he was about, I think, nine or ten years old. And he left town when he was about 83. <laughs> But he wasn't born here, so... So he's not a local. Yeah, he still regarded himself as a Queenslander, didn't what, he? What was your definition of a local? Nick? No, that was came from someone else, but it was I was told that. You are a local if your great-grandfather was born in town. Yeah, right-o. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I got no, I got no hope. No. Nah. You might have a few generations down the line, you might well, be right. Yeah, young, uh, I'm just trying to think. I know all the other boys, they went to Montpellier, but certainly BJ, the youngest, I think this is the only place he's ever lived. Yeah. You know, yeah. so because uh, he's 22 now, so you know he, he 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 might be considered a local, and his old man not. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you get down and watch the boys very often? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, I've certainly I've been you know involved in various guises over the years, and um, you know rain, hail, or shine, and you know that some of those years, as you'd know, Teddy, there was you know three and a dog on the hill, and we'd be lucky to win a game a year, and we look forward to playing Motor Warrior Port because they're the only times we were competitive. A lot of times, none of those people was me. I was even that disheartened. I think yeah, that, so, I, that I only go on the fine days. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, so yeah, we had some of those times. So yeah, been through all that, but yet some of those times with a, you know, when Wayne Smith was coaching and we won four games and two games a year, or Mel Gent and, and that sort of crew and those. It, some of those were the the f- most fun times I've yeah. ever had yeah, at, yeah. at the footy club. Now, we weren't having success on the field, but the, the funny things that happened back in those days, like Wayne Smith, he he's not a humorous man. He doesn't, just, doesn't try to be. He's just funny. Yeah, so he is. We played, uh, I think we, we played Newcomb away. And because Wayne was 40, still playing footy, and he's grey hair and that. And so the opposition were taunting him, calling him, Ali, oh, you grey hair and all yeah. this sort of stuff, and the crowd are getting into him. So he turns up at a home game down here the next week with jet black hair. He's decided to, he's decided to dye his hair. Now, I was the runner. Joff was running the bench. Joff and Paul run the bench. I was the runner, and Wayne was playing coach. So you could see for that, it was like, you know, that show Mac and My for Hire. You yeah. know, it was basically the, the, the lunatics had taken over the asylum. 
but he'd only died at the night before, and he he found Tammy's hair dye in the in the um, laundry somewhere or in the bathroom. And decided this will do me. Must have been old because I only <laughs> ever remember Tam with white hair. <laughs> he's, yeah, well, he might be. He's, uh, he's he's run the rinse through, but it was a really it was a really really hot sunny day. And anyway, so. We're 10, 15 minutes into the game and Wayne calls me out. He wants to, you know, get a message to one of the players. So I run down there and I couldn't look him straight in the eye. But anyway, I'm starting to giggle and he's telling me, now, listen, what I want you to do is get this bloke and get him off and put Billy Bloggs in the ruck and all that sort of stuff. And I said, no, no worries, Wayne. By the way, your hair's melting. So the dye hadn't set and he was, he started to sweat and all this black dye was running down his face. It was all over the front of his jumper. He'd run his hand through his hair. That's all black. Oh, and I go back to Joff and that, and he said, what do you want? I said, I can't remember, but have a look at the idiot. And we're on the bench oh. laughing our heads off at this bloke whose head's melting. Oh, so, no. Yeah, no. That was a sort of... There was so yeah. many different things that Wayne got up to. He's a ripping, ripping fellow and a, oh, yeah. a great man around town. Was, and, uh, and a great lover of the footy club, too. Yeah, He's yeah. A, and, and a great supporter of the, mm. of the cricket club. He's yeah. always down there yeah. as a, yeah, as a night shed watchman. Man and yeah, yeah, yeah um, all that. He's a good player. Oh, he's tough. Yeah. Tough, tough as a cat's head. After he was coach, he, he kept on playing. Yes. And he Hildo did. took us over and yep. got us into a final series. A- absolutely. And I remember us playing Mottawari, I reckon it was, in a first semi final and winning it. And Wap being amazing. Yeah. Like having one of, like, and he was well over 40. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And, but he just loved his I reckon footy. that might have been in his last season. Yeah. And tough. Like, you know, yeah. not. As in tough, dirty. Like, mm. he wouldn't turn around and belch in the, yeah. in the head. But I've never seen a bloke, you know, just want the footy as much and yeah. put himself in, you know, in peril to get it. Yeah. You know, and every second week he'd have his head bandaged up yeah. or his nose bandaged up. And, yeah, he was... Maybe that was to stop the hair dye Well, it might have been. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it out of his eyes. He, uh, but, yeah, very, very, very tough individual. And, and so, like, a, a great man around. So, earlier on you told us stories about both how how he got the job yeah. and how he lost the job. And they're, bo- and they're both equally as humorous. <laughs> so, you want to run us through those? Well, well Joff and I, uh, Mel Gent wasn't going to do the job. So, we had to... Um, we had to find a coach, and, and Joff, in his normal style, he goes, hey, wow. He said, I've heard a whisper there's this big heap moved into town, played a bit of footy at Newtown, we should go and have a chat to him. And uh, he was living um, just off in one of the courts that uh, the Tin Shed back onto. And um, so we thought, oh, well, you know, we'd had a game of golf, and we get down the Tin Shed about 11, we had a few pots, and we go, well, we'll, we'll walk around and knock on this bloke's door. But by this time, it's about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the Arbo. So we've had, we, we, we've, we've had a, a few... So anyway, we go around and here's the big Wayne standing out there in the front of his house working on a car. He's got blue overalls on and all that sort of stuff. So we just start yakking to him, welcome to town, how you going? And instantly Joff and I knew he's a ripping fella. Talked to him a bit about the footy, would you be interested, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, we're talking, talking, talking and I, I sort of said to Joff, hey listen, I've got to sneak back to the tin shed, I'm, I'm busting for a piss. So I wander back to the tin shed and... You know, there's Swino and Killer and the whole crew in there. They go, you want a pot? Yeah, yeah, no worries. I sort of forgot what I was doing. I had about three or four more beers and um, didn't end up going back to complete the interview. <laughs> Joffa walks back and I go, oh, that's right. We were talking to that bloke, weren't we? I said, how'd you go? He goes, yeah, yeah, signed. So that's how Wayne got to be Perfect. our coach. So uh, it wasn't any of these formal presentations and all that sort of stuff. Now it was two blokes who were half lickered up, just wandered into his front yard and said, g'day. And, uh, mm. you know, again... He'd probably admit wasn't the greatest coach in the world, and uh, but he's been a great man for the club and yeah. a great man for the town. Still is. I, I find it remarkable. That, uh, 
I think it might have been last season or the year before. One night anyway, I was down the club on a Thursday night and there's WAP in the kitchen with an apron on helping serve up tea. And um, his son doesn't play football at the club. And plays at Newtown, in, yeah. in at Newtown. And mm. yeah, there's WAP just in there still helping out. I mean, yep. he must be a very proud man of his daughter Darcy because yep. she's still at the club and yep. she won't go anywhere, which is fantastic. Yep. But uh, he just keeps giving in, in, in all you know different aspects. Yeah. And we can, you know, as we do, we take the mickey out of everyone because that's the way we roll and, you know, him more than anybody. And I can remember one day he was playing there and, and, and we remember, you know, Joff and I, when we get together, have a few beers with him. It's all of the negative stuff that we always put, you know, about his hair melting or the day that, oh, this was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. We're playing Queenscliff at Queenscliff and the, the full forward, so Wayne's about to kick it out from full back and the full, full forward's drop right back from the 10-yard square. So he's... He's, you know, almost at centre-half forward, you know, so it must have been part of their zone or whatever they're playing. And anyway, so Wayne's decided he's going to take off and, and play on. So back then you had to kick it to yourself and go. Yep. Well, he, he's going to kick it up to himself, but he's dropped the mark when he mm. kicked it to himself. The ball spilt out, thinking that he's under pressure from the full forward, who's actually 40 metres away. He's picked it up. He's done two blind turns of nobody, got disoriented, <laughs> kicked it out straight into the caravan park, and we reckon it would have landed on the pilot boat or something. Oh, so no. um, th- that was the sort of stuff we always bring up and remind him of. But I can't remember who... We were. There was two things. There was his, his, his mother was ill with, with her brain cancer, yeah. and we played ammos up home, and we were a pretty ordinary side. And Wayne put himself into the ruck in the last quarter, and we were close, and we had a sniff, and he willed himself to win that game of footy for his mum, who oh. he knew didn't have much time. Yeah. It was the last game of footy that uh, Jossie ever saw. Oh, wow. um, and he got us over the line. I'll never forget it. I ran out to give him a hug and he was just in tears. You know, yeah. So you know, it was just that's the sort of guy he was. And yeah. this other day, I think it was against Newcomb at home and he'd been down back and we took him off. And the game was reasonably comfortably in our grasp. And he said, Joffa, Joffa, put me up forward. Well, I don't know why I have to ask Joffa because he was the coach, so he can do what he liked. <laughs> So anyway, we put him up there, and anyway, in, in about a three-minute time frame, he's kicked four, oh, wow. and he's running around, he's doing the aeroplane, he's doing oh, the no. shotgun, he's doing the start, the chainsaw. Oh. Joffa goes, get that big idiot off. So I run out, and I say, mate, Joffa says you've got to come off, and uh, I'll clean this up a bit. He said, well, tell Joffa to get stuffed, because I'm putting on a clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so some of my fondest memories uh, are with him. And, and as you asked, Nip, about do we still get to the footy? Of course we do. And, you know, standing there with Wayne, watching when Haydo was coming through and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, watching my boys play some senior footy and, and all that's been really, really wonderful. I've, I've started to, to break the umbilical cord a little bit this year because, you know, Beej is still playing up there. And Luke's only just coming back. He played his first game. Um, but he's, you know, I've been over helping him with his house that he's built yep. in Kerr Lewis. And, and, you know, it's, it's time for my life to evolve a bit and, and not be as tied to the club. And maybe like Teddy said, I'll, I'll be a home game attendee. Mm. And, you know, I've got an MCC membership that I've hardly ever used. I should be going up there and sitting in the members dining room and having Following a Following Carlton? And, oh, please. <laughs> um, you know, so I've got other things, you know, I've got a membership up at uh, the Barnage Golf Club. I'd like to start playing some comp up there. And so, yeah, yeah. You just, you know, it's time, I think, for me to evolve a little bit and start doing some different things. And I love the club, and I always will. And, you know, it feels like putting on your favourite pair of tracky pants when you walk up there. But um, as my kids 
get older and retire and that generation I come through retire, then, you know, I think I'll be certainly less involved and less around the club, but I won't love it any less. Things we didn't know about, wow, Nipper, award-winning mm. umpire. Mm. Yeah, wow. A fantastic award-winning umpiring has, has led you into an advisory position of the umpire's advisor. You're the, you're the Hills advisor well, for the umpires. I, I try... We did I, speak about your beautiful <laughs> beautiful singing voice and your lovely talking voice earlier, but you've also got a very loud and projected yelling voice and you help out a few blokes out there. Yeah, only when I see something that is the glaringly obvious that you would think the umpire would see. Fine if they're blinded, and you know, but when it's there and they're looking straight at it and you go, how can you not see that? And, and that's to when the rational brain switches off and the emotional brain and your love for the club and all that the passion comes into it and yeah you you express yourself and all that sort of stuff so and, and i know they don't deliberately miss those frees or don't you know deliberately pay them against you but it's just the frustrating part of it but i think i pale into insignificance when it comes to adam fry and his advice that he gives on the hill he's an absolute ripper and also an umpire yeah that's so, true yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. yeah comes from good stock though adam fry yeah, his, oh, his yeah. father was a very, um, had a very powerful voice. Very powerful voice. And I've seen Al up there. He's been up there the last couple of weeks, which is good. So yeah, it's always it great been. to see those blokes from that other area that you, area you said. Although about I did have to warn Alan, he wore a red beanie to, mm. the, to the, a game a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. I said to him, I don't mind you wearing that to this game, but if I see, that, I think that was a Newcomb game. And I said, if I see you in a red beanie at the Ocean Grove game, it and your head will go down a toilet and be flushed. Yeah. And he uh, went, oh, I'm sorry, he's Teddy. He's always had a problem with uh, fashion. Has oh, this is shocking. Fry. Purple pants and yellow oh, shirt. I remember at training, you know, it'd be middle of winter, it'd be freezing cold. And we were not so much sponsored, but we used to get a lot of surf gear from a mob called Echo Beach. That's right. And you get best player or something like that, you might get a hoodie or tracksuit pants mm. and that sort of thing. And fried wear... You know, maybe an aqua blue pair of tracksuit pants with his footy shorts over the top and his socks over the top pulled up to the knees. And I reckon he had a pair of Harlequin tracksuit pants, which had a different colour on each panel. Yeah. So the front left, the front left leg and the front right leg were different colours, and the back left and back right, four different colours. And he wore them to footy training, and then he, t- I reckon he took them off, and they were never seen again. And while he was in the shower. Somebody, uh, I think Cornsey or somebody like that said, these are not to be seen again, and they, yeah, yeah. they went missing. And, uh, yeah, loud, loud in his dress style. I know and, that uh, he's yeah, obviously a product of a, an era slightly before us, because uh, Al's a, a little generation, not a full generation, but he's in front of us. But those things you're talking about, Teddy, I can remember going to Nookies and then Gable's Disco as a young bloke at the Warren Ponds pub with turquoise pants that had pink pocket inserts. Corduroys? Yeah, and then I had my kayak shoes, <laughs> kayak which were corduroys, and, yes. and you'd go in with something like, you know, with a, with a pink, you know, a penguin polo shirt on to with match a t- all With this. a leather tie. Yeah, and, and some sort of, you know, light yellow arrangement about, and stuff. I, and, my geez. pride and joy about that era was the pinstriped quicksilver pants. Yeah. They were, uh, they I, had, were I had some quicksilver fat cords that were apricot. They were absolute mint. I loved them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, since since your footy and you've done a few other things around the town, yeah. you were for a long time or for a reasonable time the captain at the Bowen Grove Golf yeah, Club. Yeah, yeah, I was the was the uh, the captain down the tin shed there for poor 
seven or eight years, I suppose, Teddy, and, and helping run the golf and on the committee down there. And um, yeah, that's look, that's a great place and a great you know part of the community. And um, so pretty heavily involved down there. You know, I was a published author in a, a local publication for many years that yes. your good self uh, yes. writes for. And we used to have some lovely little battles, and you know, I used to quite often get comment what will wow come out in <laughs> in reply to teddy's taunt i was going to bring some tupperware today cause yeah. we did have a, a bit of a banter about tupperware for a while that came out of tim turning up to cricket with mm. with his afternoon tea yeah. and tupperware yeah, and then leaving it behind and coming back almost distraught i've left my father's tupperware <laughs> at, oh, at cricket. and i wouldn't have and even known kill but... me <laughs> yeah. i mean you've been doing it for a long time teddy i reckon i did that for five or six years and it was interesting that it was supposed to be a, a golf column about what's going on at the, the Barwon Golf Almost never Club. mentioned. Well, the first one I actually did. I wrote about golf and who'd won the competition. And, and Trish, who's, uh, you know, obviously in charge at Talking Heads, she sent me an email. She said, look, nice article, but no one's interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, righto, so I'll change it up a bit. So, you know, I started yes, well, to try to make it a little bit quirky. And then it just became a gossip column where I'd... I'd grab a snippet of information and I would just run with it and uh, tag everybody with pseudonyms and and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, it's still, you know, the Western Suburbs, Ranga, the Coastal Casanova, the Car Street Ninja, all all these people, you know, they're they're still still people. (laughs) So, yeah, but the best thing was is that, you know, having to come up with something every month and you're sitting there going, oh, what yeah, can I write about? My friends in this, this town never let me down. <laughs> there was always somebody who would do something stupid. You go, that'll do me. I can make something out of it. I've got me. a saying, wow, some months talking head just writes itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the funniest things, Teddy, I was having a game of golf out at uh, 13th Beach one day and the tees got a little bit banked up. And so we were actually waiting for the group in front of us to tee off four guys probably in their 70s who wouldn't know him from Barra Soap, wouldn't know him if I ran into him today. And they were yakking about stuff. And one of the blokes said, oh, that talking head's turned up again in my letterbox. And one of the blokes goes, what are you reading? He goes, I don't read most of it. He says, I always read that thing from Barwon Grove. He goes, that's a really, really funny article, that bloke, right? So he goes, I'd love to meet that bloke, the skipper, one day. <laughs> and I was five feet behind him. So I just walked out and shook his hand. I said, nice to meet you, mate. <laughs> wow. Made yeah. his day. Oh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, well, it was good fun. It was just really, really nice to have the license to take the mickey out of people. And uh, yeah, hey, yeah something just sprung into my head. We're talking about Alan Fry's fashion and yep. how poor mm. it is. But Warren's wearing a lovely Bowenheads Seagulls football and netball club jacket like a leather jacket with yeah, the leather arms yeah, it's got the leather arms it's you know it's blue that and is blue a vintage and white. piece isn't and it's, it? it's vintage tell us a little bit about that has it served you well well i think it's actually still got some uh, bundy and coke stains on the front because i haven't ever had it dry clean but these are a, a 1994 club jacket mm. um eddie kutajar yes, came yes. and trained for us and I can't remember if he first assisted uh, Dougie Shears or took over from Dougie. I can't sort of piece that together. And um, I reckon they came as a package. Yeah, well, Dougie was great because Dougie had run out to see you, as you guys had know, and, uh, you know, he's, he, I don't know if he ever had any string in his buddy, you know, those white cricket pants he used to no. wear. Because they'd be down around his knees, so he'd be hitching his dacks up, and then he'd have a look at you, and you'd have a cork. He goes, I'll rub some Denka rub into that. So, yeah, he's putting heat into a corky, and yeah. then he'd tell you, right, mate, and then he'd, he'd wipe your face down with the one towel that, you know, that yeah, had Denka, just rub, Denka rub on the t- and yeah. you can't see your blind. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'd blow smoke in your eyes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, or he's no, strapping he's, your ankles while he's having a dart. His pants would always fall down because he had his 
keys, which you know, you know, in those yes. days he had forty or fifty keys yeah, on yes. his ring, and he smokes and his lighter in the other <laughs> pocket, and he'd be trying to juggle them and hold on to them, and probably fifteen dollars uh, worth of twenty cent pieces. Yeah, exactly right, old clippers. Yeah, he was good, but these jackets, so uh, they're just you know a standard bluey jacket, and then. Eddie Kudajar said, I've got a mate, and what he'll do is he'll get them embroidered there and he'll take the sleeves off, he'll put these leather sleeves on them. Who wants one? And not too many of us got them. I said, I'll have one just for the sake of it. And as you can see, it's massive. I don't know, I think it was one size fits all. So, you know, they go from fitting the Ruckman to uh, the smallest guy in the, on the field. But it comes out on special occasions. I know that uh, Matty Walter, the moose, he had one. And I said to him, where's yours gone? He goes, I threw it out. I said, I know, because... Miles Benham bought it from the op shop for five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many blokes would actually have these. Yeah. And I saw Dizzy Holland walking around in one once. And I said, where would you get that from? He goes, op shop. Yeah. So the blokes are starting to wow. chuck them out. Oh, so right so oh, I bring it out on reunion days. And I just thought, yeah, nice little talking piece. Yeah. The, the jacket that's 25 years old. I've got a few things like that. And they're older than 25 <laughs> years. The problem is I don't fit into them yeah. anymore. Well, I wonder, Nip, if someday this will be, you know, uh, sort yeah, of stuck well, in, in some sort of... Head, Smithsonian. Yeah, yeah. In some temperature controlled, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, sort of glass cabinet up there if, for time in memorial. The... I thought I'd bring this up too because th- this guy. Is this your umpire's trophy? No, no, no. This uh, this will bring back <laughs> fond memories from you because for you guys because I don't know how many of these oh, still look exist. At that. Oh. I've still got mine. Have you? So yeah, that's the the double yeah. premiership port from I, 1993. I drank mine. I reckon in about I reckon before 1994 I drank mine. Well, you have a look at that nipper. Feel it. It is empty, and yet I've never opened it. I don't know what has happened to the contents. <laughs> you see, the, the wax seal and everything is still on the top. Uh, it's, I think it's leached out the bottom or something. Mm. Yeah, so it would have been a quality drop, I'm, I'm imagine. Ni- well, it's a Brown Brothers, apparently. I reckon. It's a 19... I reckon 1993. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they've probably drilled a hole yeah, in the bottom of it. It's like blowing of, an egg. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of putty on it. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, there you go. There's some famous names on that. And that's the, that's the bit I love about it is just the history and that the ones and the twos yeah. won it. And you look through those names and, uh, you know, the yes. blokes who were, uh, you know, we, we had such great camaraderie. And so yeah. I still have that sitting pride of place. I've got, I've, I've got a, a shelf at home or like a, a, a set of shelves that I just put stupid stuff on. Yeah. And people come in and go, why well, have you got that? I say, because look at it. Yeah. So yeah. that sits out in my house. Yep. Um, you know, I've got. I think it sits next to a little tin robot and a statue of Jesus. I'm not even religious, but this is just the <laughs> crap that I've collected over uh, the years. And, and I was, I was hopeful that, you know, particularly for my boys and all the boys that you know have uh, been around the club a long time and come for the juniors. I was hoping uh, 2018 was going to be the year we could produce another port, but sadly, it uh, it didn't. That would have been nice bookends, wouldn't they? Yeah, and, and we uh, we probably need to keep those bottles because when we do it, we want to do it. Yeah. Pretty much the same. And, uh, you know, we've been around the club, you guys, a lot longer than I have. And um, it's interesting that I don't think I've had a more disappointing day at the football. It wasn't that the guys didn't try. You just could not have a a script written where everything went more wrong. Um, You know, they coached well, the opposition. They blocked up, you know, the way we beat them easily in the... In the second semi-final, they put a lot of pressure on us and we kick 1-6 in the first quarter. You kick 6-1 and it's a different game. And you could just see, you know, the deflation, you know, by halftime and halfway through the third quarter when it was going wrong and wrong and wrong and the boys just, uh, you know, um, the shoulders slumped and uh, the rest is history, as they say. And uh, to be honest, you know, I don't know whether many of the guys in the group still carry it. I still carry that disappointment because, you know, you guys like me, I've been around for... 
25 years. I love the club and I'm sure particularly for Luke, who will be 28 this year, you know, having played in that, that would have been a beautiful full stop to his footy career. Barrow and Heads mm. played juniors, 100 senior games, premiership player and yeah, it wasn't to be, and you know, not only did they uh, they beat us, but they uh, pulled our pants down, which yeah. was a, a pretty sad result for what was a an absolutely brilliant year of football. Yeah, it up was there. a great it was, year. Mm. It was a great year, and as I've said this before, that having the disappointment of the day, but after that, the function that we had up at the footy club mm. is one of my greatest memories of the footy club. The way that, that the town and the club and the people of the club got around the boys, yep. and by the end of the night. It was almost as if it hadn't happened, and yeah. um, not that we were celebrating, but you could see that blokes who were shattered started to make that You're move right, on. Ted. And I reckon it's, it was a great testament to our footy mm. club the way that we got around them and, and yeah. stuck with them. And and you right, and, and I saw you know a Facebook post that said, "I love them when they win, and I love them when they lose." Yeah, and um, sure, it was disappointing, and it was you know you know probably gut wrenching for those guys who went in as as, as warm favourites, um, but. You know, you've got to keep it in perspective as well. Okay, it's disappointing to lose and it's been a long time, but there's a hell of a lot worse things going on mm, in the world. And, exactly right. you know, you, you see tragedy every day on the news and you hear, you know, recently we've lost some fantastic people from this town, yeah. you know, with uh, with Ronnie Lawn and Johnny Brady and these sort of blokes. And so in the scheme of things, uh, yeah, okay, we lost the flag, but, you know, we're still part of a fantastic club and a fantastic community. That's the thing I love about Bowen Heads and... I love the fact that, you know, my boys got to grow up here and wherever they go in life. You know, Tim's living in Melbourne now working for the, the Herald Sun, writing, uh, writing all the football articles and that's all he ever wanted to do. Comes back at Christmas time with his wife and my grandson and, um, you know, we sit down and we have a beer and he goes, God, it's good to be home, Dad. You know, this is still his home, even yeah. though he, you know, he's got his own house in Melbourne and, yeah, yeah just this is, this is where they belong. Yeah. yeah, you can take the boy out of bar on heads, but... You- can't take the bowen heads out of the boy, really, can yeah, you? Yeah, exactly right. And look, Paul Kelly's a, a, a great case in point. Yeah. You know, Cal lived in town for 20-plus years and mm. played a lot of footy up here, part of that premiership side, yeah. and um, life's taken him to Queensland. Ran this place for a while? Yeah, absolutely yeah. did, yeah. yeah, when it was the beach, Nick. But he, uh, he's up in Mount Isa now. He's a, a principal uh, you know, dealer in a, in, a, in a car business up there. And so we don't see a lot of Cal. You know, we get in touch via the Facebook and the, the Messenger and stuff, but... Cal will drift in and out, um, you know, four or five times a year. He's back at Christmas time. I was, I was really impressed. He came back for the for the reunion. Mm. He was back recently also because his father passed yeah. away. But he came to the footy. Yeah. Both him and Fran were at the footy. Of course, Fran's a great supporter mm. of the club. I was really impressed when he told me how much it costs him to come down mm. here. It costs him a lot. You can go to bloody London for what yeah. it costs him. To, I mean, he's got plenty of scratch, so it's not a yeah. big deal to him, but it is... It it's, is a long, it's, a, it's a long way to well, travel. Yeah, it's too. not, not like big jumping trip, on the, you know, yeah. the jet star at Avalon and, and sneaking yeah. up to the yeah, Gold well, you got to go to Brisbane first. you got to go Isaac to Brisbane yeah. and then Brisbane yeah. to, down to Melbourne and then yeah. get all your yeah. way down here. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, so there's an but example... Whenever you, whenever you do see Paul Kelly down here, he's just always genuinely happy to see you. Yeah. Isn't it? And that's the point I was making, Nip, that, you know... You can be away from this town and you can live miles and miles away in the outback of Queensland, but you come back here and it is. It's just like I said before, putting on your favourite pair of tracky pants and, you know, we still consider Cal one of us and he's a local and he comes back and we all embrace him. And so, yeah, that's the thing I love about this town. It doesn't matter where you are. And and that's why I love the footy club because it was, you know, what attracted me to come down here and then... Fell in love with the place, got my block of land in Ozone Road, built a house, and the rest, they say, is history. Now, we're just talking about travelling 
Ben, you've become quite a traveller in the, in the last few years, haven't you? Yeah, well, I suppose, Teddy, you know, and I wouldn't change anything for the world, but there was, you know, a decade or a decade and a half where I was really committed to the kids and it was all about raising them. And so that curtails, you know, the things that you can do for yourself. So now that they're all grown, I've decided to get out and see a little bit of the world. And in fact, you know, I was probably one of the only ones who missed the 25-year reunion because I was actually in Tanzania at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd been on a safari out in Serengeti and uh, climbed Kilimanjaro and, um, you know, had a little bit of a look around and done some things there. And I did uh, I did actually FaceTime in or, yeah, or ring into the messenger. Yeah. Remember that. I rang Cal on his phone, but he put Ant on yeah. and, and Ant said, can't talk, the speeches are on. So they just left the speeches on and I was listening. And That's I was, right. Yeah. I was sitting in a, a two and a half star backpacker joint in Moshi in Tanzania, having a Kilimanjaro ale or whatever it was, listen to Nipper do a speech. And the funniest thing, I'd forgotten about it, and pardon my you know, language to the, the listeners, but because we played football in a less politically correct time. And so Nipper was finished his speech, and this was something that we used to say in 1993, but Nipper said at the end of his speech, and he said, and by the way, if you can't tap dance, you're a poofter. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sitting in this place in Moshi and I broke up. I'm oh, laughing. The tears are running down my face. And these people are looking at me thinking, what's wrong with this bloke? You didn't because get down and do the worm, did you? I actually started tap dancing because <laughs> that every time you used to say it, we're all yes. dancing and doing <laughs> that. So right. I just brought back some wonderful memories. Dino Roderick actually went to a charity auction and bought a trip to Kokoda, which was yep. something that was on my list. And so I yep. spoke to Dino and, yep. and said, and good on Dino and Trace, major sponsors of platinum sponsors yeah. of the club still. And uh, I said, listen, mate, do you mind if I tag along? It's something I would have liked to have done. And he said, no worries, jump on board. So we went and did that, loved it. But, you know, I, I, I carried my own pack. It was a hard yep. slog. Yeah. And out of all the things I've done, it was the physically the most difficult. But then I thought, gee, I like that, what's next? So... The next one was I you know, went into the Himalaya in Nepal and trekked and ended up at Everest Base Camp. Then I got to the top of a mountain called Kala Patar and sat there and watched the sun rise over Everest, which was one of the most brilliant things I've ever done. So then I thought oh, I'd better go walk the Inca Trail. So I spent you know, seven or eight days in the Andes walking along and ended up at Machu Picchu and then uh, yeah, found myself in, um, in Tanzania to do Kilimanjaro. And uh, this year I'll go see the north side of Everest. So I'll go trekking in Tibet and uh, I'll get to the, the north face of Everest. Fantastic. Um, makes my bucket list pale into insignificance. I wanted to go to an Adelaide test, and <laughs> I went to an Adelaide test, and I ended up drinking beers on the hill under the scoreboard the with Billy Ballonese boys. <laughs> Five Ballonese boys that I took off to the uh, we're, we're, closest pub. You're actually avoiding people from, as much as you love the town, yeah. you're going where there aren't any. And, and I travel on my own too, Teddy. Yeah. I, I like to go on my own, yeah. and... and the other thing is, is you meet like-minded people, so you don't yeah. go on these things and meet some bloke. Oh, it's too cold. It's too high. The altitude because they right. don't go on those trips. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I've made some uh, some really good friends who remain friends on Facebook and things like that. And um, I met. Uh, I was on a bus in Cusco in Peru, and a a, a, a nice girl jumped on on the bus and just said, uh, um, "Yeah, ended up chatting, made a friendship. She's actually." Canadian Chinese who lives in Arizona with her husband and kids, but she travels on her own because the hubby won't travel. Um, so we hit it off. She she met in Africa. We did Kilimanjaro together, and she's coming to Bow and Eds next week for a visit. Oh, fantastic! What's yeah, the, you're going to climb the bluff. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll summit. We'll summit the bluff. Summit and, the bluff. Um, that's about. Yeah, look, we might even push harder and get up the golf club hill or something like yeah. that as well. Get onto that what, Tiger Tee on the on the fourth. Oh, I remember. I always remember you telling a great story where about your boss taking you to the states. 
Oh yes. to New York and you and you stayed a bit longer and went to New York. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. told me how fabulous. Oh, I love New, New York, York and was. I'm not a city person, Ted. Like I like to get out in the wilderness and do different things. But yeah, I had to uh, go over to Ames in Iowa to the National Animal Disease Centre over there to to do a couple of presentations with my boss, and he uh, he said, well, well, we'll head over there. So anyway, we get to the airport and. I get into the cattle class, of course, and I said to the Martin, uh, the director of, of the CSRO's Animal Health, where are you going? He goes, where do you think I'm going? He's going up the pointy end. So anyway, I get, I get off the other end, and I feel like I've been run over by a truck. He's had a massage, he's had his nails done, he's had a shower, he's had everything you know, that known to man. So, um, so anyway, so we went and did that, and I just said to Martin, yeah, I'm, I'm close to new york i've never been there so i'm not coming back with you i'm going to fly into new york and spend four four or five days there which i did and i loved it you know you fly in and you look at that skyline you know that you've seen all the time on tv and you go yeah i feel like i've been here great city really safe yeah you know walked around different city from daytime to night time saw all the things i wanted to see you know i went and saw the jersey boys you know um uh, so you know you know you go to the in Times square there's a um a cheap ticket booth you know, open up because the things that they can't sell, yep. um, you know, there's the spare seats in all of the different theatres. So I said, oh, you know, it cost me 60 bucks for a front row seat to the Jersey Boys in New York City. You know, that was, that was one of the best things I did. Hooked up with a bloke from a nuclear power plant that he worked at over there. He was oh, there the on Simpsons. his own. Simpsons. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, we watched this and had a, had a ball and we went out and had a few beers later on. But, yeah, great, great city and really, really enjoyed it. And so... Yeah, it's a different sort of travel doing things like that. The reason I remember that story is because you, you did you ask him why you were ta- why why are you taking me with you? And he said, because you're good fun to travel with and you're funny on the piss. Yeah, that's what he did say to me, and we did have a good time. I've always thought that's one of the things that would would wrap you up well. Yeah, as as a bloke, he's he's good company, lovely lovely talker, and he's funny on the piss. Yeah, we did have a good time, Martin and I. And the, where we were in Iowa too, they were very deeply religious. You know, they, they as, as Americans are God-fearing people. And Sunday they wanted to close up the bar where we were staying because they all have to get to church and things like that. And we're ordering red wines and stuff like that. And in the end, you could see the bartender was getting really, really cranky with us because he wanted to go off and, um, you know, he wanted to go off and go to church and do what he does at church. So he uh, we come up with a compromise and he left us a few bottles and uh, left us to our devices. So, but that was me and the director. And yeah, we. Yeah, we got on the got on the fizz and we had a great old time. And great deal. Can you remember any of the hijinks we got up to in '93? Anything that springs to mind? Because I'm trying to remember some of the things. But there was there was a couple of incidents that I recall that involved Tim Macker. Yes, there was a lot of nudity with Tim. He, he used to like to get his clothes off mm. to the point where he did it so often that no one even looked. No, Even the right. girls would go, oh, it's all right, Tim's nude yeah. again. Yeah, we could, yes. we, we could maybe... My wife's saying, that boy's naked again. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it'd be good to get Tim Macar in and have a chat to him, but, you know, it wouldn't matter whether he had his clothes on or not. No, no. that's why we no. don't have cameras. Him and Cal always would come to the footy because they were both selling cars back then, and Saturday morning mm. was casual day in the car yard, so the Saturday morning cord your oys they'd wear, yes. and then they'd turn up to the footy wearing them. Yes. Yeah, I do remember some things, and there's some things that... We shan't repeat because they're probably not for uh, for, no, for public right. listening. Yeah, and, no, there's, there's you know, <laughs> the very unique celebrations we had on the Mad Monday yeah. after the grand final when we left the pub and went back to the club rooms and then left the club rooms and went back mm. to the pub. That was probably something that wouldn't happen nowadays. No, I can remember blocking um, Bridge Road. Yes. Cause, and I actually got round the corner late because 
Gary Martin, Gasher had the news agency yeah. back then. Yeah. Leanne Andrew had the blue ute. And there was, I God knows how many of us were in the back of this blue ute yeah. coming up the main street with I the... I saw pre- a photo of that with, with, the, with the Premiership Cups and all that sort of stuff. And we were yahooed yeah. and the, you know, people were coming out of the shops and there were still the streamers and the balloons. And, and, and Leanne pulled up out front of the news agents, which is pretty much out front of... You know this, yeah, which yeah, is Beach, which right. which was Bali and beyond, which used to be the fire, fire station. station. Yeah. Um, so she pulled up, and Gash was giving us a wave and a well done, boys. And I'm standing up, you know, thinking I'm, uh, you know, just won the UEFA Cup or something like that. Um, but enjoying myself. And anyway, Leanne's taken off to go around the corner. I fell out the back of the Ute. Oh no! So I'm lying on Hitchcock Avenue, dusting myself off. They've all gone around the corner, and I sort of stagger around the corner. And you know, we, we, I, you bounce a lot better when you're younger. And yeah. obviously, with a few sherbets on board, you know, you don't realise till you wake up the next day that you've tweaked something or bruised something. And I walk around the corner, and here is um, out front of the pub, everybody. So whether it was players, the seniors, the reserves, supporters, the coaching staff, the trainers, you name it, the committee, everyone is lying on the ground doing the worm. Yeah, and so there's tra- cars banked up there and stuff, and no one cared. I don't know why, but we're all doing. Yeah, no, the that had a lot to do with. Uh, that had to do with your the music, mate. with the music men. Ah, yeah, yeah. music men, and um, there was there was a bit of music men going on, mm, and because yeah. I remember, I wasn't. I just arrived, and I came through the back door of the pub through the smoke. What's now the smokers area? Yeah, and walked into the bar, and there was no one in the bar, and and I looked at the barman, and he said, "They're out the front." And I look, walked out the front door, and everyone's on the road doing the worm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must have been a little late at you, because yeah, I dusted myself off Pod, and walked Podgy, around the corner. Podgy led that. Yeah, Podgy, Podgy just. He uh, was a a great, great man on a celebrationary sort of um, yes. night, and he was a great man on a footy trip or a cricket trip, Podgy, yes. and uh, just a great man in general. Oh, I, I do recall a couple of years ago we caught up for a drink. Um, uh, in memory of the late Phil Walters, mm. and we were here and had a few beers, and we we went back to uh, Phil's little brother, the Moose's house, and Podge was with us. And Podge, after copious amounts of pots here, proceeded to tell Moose's young boys, Zach and Charlie and Oscar, the truth about Moose. You know, <laughs> like yeah, and he he was scathing in his remarks, <laughs> and it was quite hilarious. Matt thought it was very funny too. But uh, um, the world according to Podge, yes. <laughs> he's a, yeah, a, he's a very be. very good man. I'll catch up with him every now and then. He uh, he works for uh, one of the BFD food services or something. Drives one of the yeah. trucks. They drop yeah. stuff off at work, yeah. so we yeah. yeah see him in there every now and then. So but, and another thing, where wow, that you would probably uh, probably have in your CV is you probably have an OAM. For your services to karaoke. Ah. Do you remember the karaoke night we had at, at the footy club? I've been to many a karaoke night, Teddy, and uh, um, I know myself didn't mind the microphone. Joffa Miles, oh, the, the dulcet tones of Joffa, yes. because he's got a little bit of that Polynesian in him. Yes. Very, very good singer. Yes. Um, I did, a, I did a, a, a rousing rendition of the green, green grass of <laughs> home with Joffa. Yeah. And uh, remember, he did a hang on help, it's on its way. So, look, Joff and I have been on many a trip together. We had the Punters Club for many years of going to Queensland, and everywhere we would go, if there was a karaoke night, we would be there, and Joff would be up there singing, then I'd be up there singing. And yeah, we would just enjoy it. It's good fun. The other one that I remember of you at a social function is your homage to Australiana. Oh, God, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right, Teddy. There was, oh, God, how long ago was that? 
that must have been in the early. It was a Red Faces night. Yeah, that. yeah. There was early early eighties though when I wrote it, and I just thought you know because Ostentatious yes. came out and did it, and and um, but yours... Billy, Billy Birmingham actually yeah. wrote it as I found out yeah. later on. So yeah, it was a total rip off of the concept, but I just thought I'd throw you know Geelong, Geelong and the names Ballerine in Peninsula there. And... So, um, yeah, so very what, funny. Yeah, so it was things like oh god, it was. I was sitting at home the other night when my mate Kerrang, you know, he said there was going to be a party. I said, well, where would be there? He said, no, but Karanga might, you know. <laughs> that, and that's about, you know, I, I can't remember a lot more of it, but um, yeah. You, that, you, mani- you managed to get Newcomb in, which was yeah, yeah, yeah. magnificent yeah. play that you got that in. I'd, it was a night where there wasn't much of a laugh to be had, but that that brought the house down, and mm. I thought it was just beautiful. I should dig it out to you because I have I've got it written somewhere yeah. at home, tucked away. But uh, God, I wouldn't know where to find it. I'd have to go through every it. now and then. I'll go through mm. a place in Geelong, and I'll think and I'll see it, and I'll go, oh yes, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, so yeah, we managed to weave all of that stuff in, and uh, yeah, Bow and Heads got a mention. So yeah, what's he smoking? Bow and Heads, Bow and Heads, of course. Yeah. I reckon we've nearly run out of stories. Well, it's been fantastic. Oh, there's plenty more. Of I'll them tell in you there. one thing we haven't mentioned. <laughs> yes, he's a life member of the Barnetts. Yeah, he's a life member, and a very deserving life member. Obviously, he's told us, you know, he he's a player, he's an umpire. That probably deserves it on its own, being an umpire. Um, you know, help with the juniors and that sort of thing over a very long period of time. How does that make you feel? To be yeah, up, it's up, up there on the honour board with people like Teddy. Yeah, it's, it's actually really humbling, Nippo, because and, and I think Teddy had attested it, and you know. You've done a lot of work in the community yourself, Nipper, about, you know, at the footy club and the cricket club particularly uh, with your presidency and things down there. But you never do any of this for a reward. You do it because you love it. And, and, you know, the Barnheads Footy Club has given me and my kids more than anything I can ever give it. You know, it gave them a place to grow up. It gave them a place to feel welcome, a place to feel safe. It gave the kids a place where they made friends. It's where they met other male role models in their lives and things like that with other coaches and other players and almost, things like that. In my opinion, almost the most important thing that a footy club can offer mm. to a young man. Absolutely. And, and, and things that you know, don't seem significant at the time, but I can remember BJ when he was, you know, God, seven, eight years of age and all my kids were water boys for the seniors and, and stuff like that. But BJ was a bit young to be a water boy, but he loved... Lucas Murphy, when Murph was playing up here, and you know one of our best ever recruits that's brought in. You know I'd put him behind, say you know Gavin Smith, the guru was just a, a great mm. player, but stayed for many years in a great club. And there's probably been better players, but they breeze in and mm. and breeze out. But BJ loved Lucas Murphy, and Murph, you know, tolerated him and, and embraced having him. So BJ would run out and run next to him, and and I always remember going in at half time, and BJ would sit in half time on the when the coaches were talking, and he'd go and sit on the, on the seat with the players next to Murph. And then, you know, he was, Beach was a, a portly little chap back in those he days. Was. You wouldn't know him now. He's, a, he's, he's like a stick. But, um, you know, and then they'd pass around, you know, because we didn't have stuff like, you know, we didn't have snakes and ice baths and no. all that sort of stuff. So they'd pass around the bowl of lollies at half time to get the sugar hit, and they'd come past, and, you know, the players would grab, they'd get the beer, he'd grab a handful. Yeah. He'd have about 25 snakes <laughs> and a couple of jelly beans, and he'd shoving them into his face. But, you know, that sort of interaction is the thing that, you know, that I, I love about that club. And that helps him 
formulate himself as a young man and grow into the you know the decent adult he is so you know i'm i'm very humbled to be a life member and you know it's nice to, to be recognized for a contribution but like i said that club has given me and my kids so much more than i can ever give to it and that but it is really proud to to look around and you know you see people like teddy and yourself and people have been around a long time brian andrew's a great mate you know and he's a life member and um, you know, it's just nice to see Joffa Miles and these blokes I met in 1993 and they've all been significant parts of the club and had that recognised along the journey. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty nice, nice uh, honour to have. That's a lovely place to end it, except that we have to go through the, uh, the two truths and a lie. <laughs> I know it. Nip, nip, I know nip it. picked the lie the minute I met my man. I, I think I nearly <laughs> gave it away as soon as he said it. What, what did you say? I... I don't remember what it was. No, I nearly started said. laughing. No, no I Nipper would have started laughing. I mean, it was so far from the truth. <laughs> what, is the same weight as he was when he played? No. I'm, well, actually, no. I'm, 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 I'm actually a kilo lighter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I am too. <laughs> yeah, would you play? You, you, you played at what, 135? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, so, yeah. So, you had to, what did I say? I've had a hole in three on a on a whole uh, golf at Bar at um, at Nuana in Bali and um, yeah I was uh, you know an attacking opening batsman in the mould of uh, Michael Slater and uh, and Aaron Aaron Finch Finch. yeah your history at the Bowenheads Cricket Club like a lot of fathers you end up playing a game of D grade or C grade because we're short and Mm -hmm. you fill in Um, and I had heard you spruiking about your ability to open open the batting at Heighton with some very talented players that you would have played there with. And you spoke about your ability to open the batting. And um, so I think, I'm not too sure whether you opened the batting for us, but you did bat. Now, bat at about pe- seven, I reckon. Peeled off 37 runs. Red ink. Red ink. That's what you played for, red ink. So it wasn't about scoring. It was about <laughs> not going out. Well, we had to Didn't get over the line. No matter how many overs you had to bat for, as long as you can go out. The present, I got them over the line. They were struggling. Yeah. So uh, Timmy Goddard and I, a very late order partnership there, got us over the line. So. And um, Timmy probably wouldn't have been getting on with it either. He would have been just playing and missing. Yeah. Well, we actually bored the opposition to death. Oh, it would have been. And uh, they, uh, I think they end up giving up and giving us a few cheap runs to get over the line. And I reckon so. I've tried to get you out of retirement on the cricket field many times before, but you didn't want to tarnish your red ink record. And Yeah, that's right. So one game, no average. No average. Yeah. Never, been, never been out. <laughs> never, never been out never in the history. It doesn't yeah, have an yeah. average. No. no. I, and I'll tell you what, if I tried to play now, I don't think I could see the ball. They could throw a watermelon at me and I'd miss it. Wow doesn't realise that he has had a, a, a reasonable influence at the Bowen Heads Cricket Club. A number of years ago, you came to me, Wow, and said, Teddy, you've got to get something like the Golden Goals going at the Cricket Club. And we'd never had anything like that. So we went back and discussed it at club level and the, uh, the, the night watchman was born out of, yeah. out of that suggestion. So even though you've never been a proper member of the club except as a night watchman and you, you've only played the one game, then the night watchman is, and, and it's all about the camaraderie and, mm. the, and the friendship at the cricket club and also at the footy club, uh, is, also, is a, a, a really good way that, that we make a connection between the cricket club and the footy club, and um, and it was it was as as a result of your suggestion that that came along. I was just looking Teddy at a way to get some cheap drink. That's exactly what it was all about. We, we all better. knew that at the time, and it was, <laughs> there, there was, it was actually there was two up. there was two major factors. One was the price of beer, and two was the fact that 
Wayne Smith didn't have to ride his bike right up to the other end of town. He mm. only had to ride it halfway to the village park. So. Yeah, he had to fall over the fence from Tremont Court and he exactly. was there. So yeah. There wouldn't be a cricket club in Victoria with the amount of people down there having a drink, watching a game of cricket, kids running mad around the place in the nets and riding their bikes and do all that sort of stuff. And it's the greatest thing to do it. Do all your chores at around home and, you know, you've done everything and you go, oh, geez, it's up past four. Yeah. I'll just sneak on down to the cricket club. You're your night watchman. You get your little card there and you get your first four pots as part of your membership and then you look around and here's guys you've known for a long time. It's just a ripping afternoon. Um, and, again, it's just this community and it's what it does and what it means to people. Not everybody's as perfectly placed as some others <laughs> that have a school crossing out the front of their house that leads across to the cricket ground. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah so well, that was part of the strategy because yeah. Ozone Road, whilst it's very central, it's, 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 not, it's central to the cricket club, uh, sorry, the footy club, yeah. but it's not central to the cricket club and the tin shed. So when I decided to sell that and uh, Brian Andrew and I bought an old dump down in Geelong Road and bowled her over and Brian built two lovely townhouses. One is mine and the other one uh, Brian kept and sold he on. He yeah. knocked them up pretty quick though, wouldn't he? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, probably only took him five years. Yeah, yeah it, was only when, it was only when he said, geez, I need the money out of these, you know. Um, Wayne Smith said to me one day, he said, well, I didn't realise it takes 14 months for a slab to cure. So it was the most beautifully cured slab ever poured in bow and heads. And then all of a sudden, Brian goes, geez, I need some coin out of this. I better build these. So, you know, we've been sitting there. Then all of a sudden, they went up in about six weeks. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, that's all right. We give Brian a bit of, we give Brian a bit of stick, Because he we? deserves it. That's right. He, he does. He's been a fabulous supporter of the tree on the wing, though. We're here at the beach house this evening, and we will be able to use this facility as often as we like. I know Tim Goddard's managed to facilitate that through Brian, but Brian, when I spoke to him recently, was very excited about the idea that, that we do this and that, that he, he, like Gus, thinks it's a, it's a really good thing for our club to get, get a message out about our 100th anniversary coming Absolutely. up and to tell the story of our, of our footy club. We're, we're looking for people who love the footy club and clearly we've found one in you. Well, you've been fantastic company. You've told some ripping stories. We've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. I sense that you've, you've enjoyed it. And, you know, as I said, we put a microphone in, in front of you. Um, I am going to ask you if one of us ever does a hamstring, if you'd like to come along and, and co-host a show. I think we could do that, Teddy, and, for sure. Um, we might get you on as a double act with a couple of others <laughs> because uh, we are looking at that. If you uh, get Joffa Miles down, I'll have to be here because that'd oh, be uh, yes. get, get Joffa and Wap in the same room. It'd be yeah. hilarious. We might have to have a uh, <laughs> we might have to have a lock in that night. I reckon uh, you'd have a live audience. Yeah, I think we're going to move it on towards that at some stage in yeah. the future. We we are looking at, at those kinds of things. Would we'll just knock knock them on their ass. I reckon it'd be could be fantastic. I think Teddy, you could do a whole hour on Mark Swinton's game in the seconds last week. <laughs> I've never ever seen anything like it. Well, it's, it's something realize. that I wish I, I didn't actually see, but it's burned into my memory. I didn't realise they were, they were that short. The interesting thing was Mark, when he got asked, he said, well, I want to wear number seven, which I always used to wear. And um, Greg Brown said to him, he said, mate, look, that's Bobby's jumper. I, I'm just not sure if you'll fit into that. He goes, I'll oh, get me a size up then. So Bobby's, you know, wears a yeah. medium or a large. He said, well, get me an XL. So they get him an XL. 
I think he got it down to about his nipples and oh. he's pulled it off. They've had to give him Tyson McElwain, who's the ruckman from the scene yes. who didn't play. They've had to give him Tyson's jumper and even that hardly fit him. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, let's just say he's trained off a bit. But again, it's just great memories. And everyone on the hill, all we did was bag Mark all day and he loved it and took it in good spirit. And it's another memorable day up the footy club. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you out. Thank you very much. We, we also want to thank the Beach House for, oh, for their wonderful support. They've brought out... Um, some beverages for us to consume yeah, and, a, food. and a lovely plate of food. Do you reckon Brian knows that Tommy said it's on the house? <laughs> oh, yeah, Brian knows because I spoke to him about it the other day. Can I well, didn't just, think just you were going to drink that much. Can I just tell you, I'll tell you one quick story about Brian when you're talking about consumption and food and stuff. Brian sacked me about 15 times. I used to work for him on weekends for a bit extra cash or he'd say, hey, listen, well, we'll go for a golf trip up in Cairns and that, but you've got to work five Saturdays for me and stuff like this. So we were doing a factory in Tullamarine and Brian had, uh, he'd had a, a reasonably big Friday night and this was on the Saturday, we were up there and he's a bit crook. He goes, come on, we'll go to get some smoke out. So we go down to the, the local Caltech service station, a bit like the APCO set up here, but not obviously as uh, salubrious. And he goes, it'd be 10 feet from where the pie warmer was and the slushy machine to where you go and pay. So Brian's grabbed a pie out of the pie warmer He's walked his 10 feet to give it to the attendant and the only thing he gave him was the cellophane bag because the pie had gone. It was like he inhaled it. I've, just, I've never seen anything like it. Just That's shoveled it down. His, 10 feet, three steps, he's eaten a pie. And this poor bloke's <laughs> scanning a cellophane bag. Oh, so, uh, yeah, that's Brian, and, and thank him again for his hospitality. What a way to finish. There's Teddy what? stuffs a dim sit <laughs> down his Well, I thought, wow, that story was going to be a bit longer than it was. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've got some more about Brian, if you want to know. But we'll, we'll save them for another we'll round We'll save table. them when we got Brian in front of a microphone yeah, so he can pre- to, uh, protect confirm. himself. Give him the right to reply. All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening. So, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. So it's time to uh, pick up your ass, pick up your glass, stop your talking and start your walking. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Cheerio. And go the seagulls. Tell you what, it was terrific to catch up with Wow, an old mate who both of us have a great affection for. He really loves the footy club, he really loves the town, he's made a life here and we're very proud of him. Thank you very much for listening to The Trail on the Wing. Thanks again to The Beach House for giving us the venue and the sponsorship that they are. And we hope to catch up with you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And time is called and we must piss off.